Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message from the Nichols Road Campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. I love that so much that it would be the words of the Lord. Um, I just got a text from my father um, about an hour ago, and he, in the text he, he said, what a privilege it is to speak for the Lord. Um, the words in this book are so important, and I'm honored to be able to just participate in the sharing of the words of the Lord, and I'm praying that all my bad ideas just fall away and the words of the Lord pierce us like a blade today. That's the goal. Um, praise the Lord. Um, last week, Bill introduced um, our series, uh, The Beautiful Resistance. Um, he told a story of how Diedrich Bonhoeffer, um, a, a German Christian uh, who lived during the rise of the Nazi party, um, started, a, um, started an underground seminary uh, to teach the word of the Lord to uh, German Christians as an act of resistance against um, the culture uh, of the day and what was, what was arising um, some people thought that he was um, maybe being a little bit too extreme. And so uh, uh, they sent a representative out to go check the place out. Um, he got a tour of the facility. Um, and then uh, uh, Diedrich took him up onto a hill um, where you could see the seminary. Um, and over the rise in the distance, you could see a Nazi airbase where there were fighters and bombers taking off, um, and it was a such a stark difference. Um, and Diedrich said uh, to his friend, "This must resist that." And that's really the call uh, for every Christian: is to live a life that is resistant to the enemy, live a life that's resistant to the spiritual forces of wickedness. Um, we're we're living in an intense in intense life. The Christian life is not just slightly different than, you know, it's not just, oh, I live a regular life, except for on Sunday mornings, you know, I have this particular activity that I do. Um, the Christian life is diametrically opposed to, to the, the culture as it is. Um, blindly following the currents of culture is not an option for, for the Christian. Um, we're told in Scripture to not conform to the pattern of the world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And if your mind has not been renewed, you're stuck on that default trajectory. You're going to be swept away by the currents. Last week, uh, Bill um, helped us realize that worship must resist idolatry. That's one of the ways that our Christian life looks different. Worship must resist idolatry. And anytime a good thing becomes a God thing in our lives, that is idolatry. When we put something above the Lord, when we uh, can't let go of something. Um, But that's not the only way the Christian life is different than the world. Um, Today, we're going to look at what Jesus says in Matthew 5, which I really dodged the bullet there because Kathy just started preaching on Matthew 6. So... um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's like, oh man, that was close. Um, <laughs> so uh, we're going to go through almost the whole chapter here. So if you've got your Bibles, you can open up to Matthew 5. Um, he's going to lay out what 
um, the differences between a child of God and the rest of the world. Verse 1, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Um, now, right, right now, this right off the bat, we go like, poor in spirit. Like, aren't we supposed to be spiritually strong, spiritually rich? Like, aren't our rich, riches spiritual? Isn't that the difference? Um, this... Uh, um, to better understand this, we could replace the word poor in spirit with humility or lowly in spirit. So um, this is opposed to all of the, um, uh, the videos we see on our phone uh, where we're, we're told we got to project confidence. We've got we to gotta be on top. We've got to act like we have all of the answers. Um, uh, we have to be, you know, project pride in order to build confidence in other, you know, um, in the minds of other people, in our own abilities or skills. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And why is it blessed to, to mourn? Because it's good to be comforted by the Lord. It is a good thing to be in the hands of the Lord. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. The meek are those with strength, but that don't use it when provoked. The meek are the people that don't jump at the chance to fight other people, right? When they're wronged, their first reaction is not, all right, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to take back what's mine, right? And the Lord says, if you're meek, you're, you will inherit the earth. The Lord's going to take care of your inheritance. As a child of God, nobody can steal away the inheritance that you have. So you have permission to be meek. You have permission to not fight for what's yours. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. What are you hungry for? What, is the what are the desires of your heart? The psalmist said, um, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you, right? That's, that's the attitude of, of somebody who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. We see this in the parable of the man who was forgiven a debt and then refused to forgive somebody else their debt, right? And that very mercy that he was given was taken away, right? We're, we're merciful because we're promised the mercy of the Lord. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Are your motives pure? Are you wholehearted? Jesus is repeating the same promise that God gave to Jeremiah when he said, if you seek me with your whole heart, you'll find me, right? This is not something new. Jesus is, is just laying out the kingdom of God as it's always been. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And when we think of this beautiful resistance, we think like, all right, we're going we're gonna to fight, you know? So automatically, you know, all of our stance has to be fight, 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 right? Our warfare is making peace. Because the enemy's strategy is to sow hatred. The enemy's strategy is to sow disunity and discontent. And when we make peace with our brothers and sisters, we are waging spiritual war. Who do we need to make peace with? 
Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is similar to James who says, rejoice when you face trials, right? That's the opposite of the culture, right? Complaining is something that we're really good at, you know? It's, it's something we're just built to do. Call up the complaint line, you know, take your McDonald's bag back up to the counter, you know, like squeaky wheel gets the grease, you know, when, when something terrible happens, like use your mouse or your mouth, use your thumbs and like get justice for yourself. Right. Jesus is saying it's good to go through trials. Jesus is saying it's good. You have a re- because you have a reward in heaven to look forward to. Hebrews says it was because of the joy set before the Lord that he endured the cross. Right? Joy got Jesus through his trials. Joy can get us through our trials. And it's in this these type of diametrically opposed ways that our Christian life stands as a beautiful resistance to the enemy. This kind of life is like swimming um, perpendicular to the shore, perpendicular to the flow of the current. That was, that was Bill's analogy last week, right? If we would just swim straight to the shore, perpendicular to the waves, um, we could resist the current of culture. And this is what Jesus says. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Christians who look just like the world are like salt that's lost its saltiness, right? And, and what is salt that's lost its saltiness? Just like little pebbles, right? Sand, right? I hate sand. Gets everywhere. I miss Mark. Um, <laughs> anyways, Star Wars reference. Um, <laughs> sand, it's indistinguishable from every other kind of dirt. You know, it's, you just, it's good for no heavenly purpose. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people put a lamp, light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gets light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. The different way that you live your life sets you apart for service for the Lord, right? It acts as a beacon to the world. What? does this different life look like specifically in specific situations? It looks like following the teachings of Jesus with the life of Jesus inside of you. Right. And, and this very next verse here, Jesus is going to start giving examples of what this life looks like, what saltiness looks like, what light looks like. Here we go. You've heard it said, 
from people. Uh, it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, that means empty-headed, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Jesus is saying, not murdering people doesn't set you apart from the world. Right? You can't say, hey, I've not killed anybody. Right? That's not different than the world. Right? People don't come up to you and say, hey, I, I haven't seen you murder anybody. Like, what's different about you? What's, what must I do to be saved? You know, like, but Jesus says, like, don't be angry with one another. Don't be angry with one another. Don't curse each other. Don't write each other off as fools. Right? Oh, that guy's he's just a fool. He's just a, you know, right? That's not only hard, right? But like, that's very different from the way of the world, right? That would be like salt. That would be like light. If you're wronged and you choose not to hold resentment in your heart, right? That's radical. Number two way. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Right? This is drastic. Jesus is saying run from temptation. Right? Don't just run from the action. Don't just run from the, you know, the sin itself. Like if you encounter temptation, that's the moment that you need to be running. Right? And, uh, this, is, uh, this is the story of Joseph, right? Where we see Joseph tempted by Potiphar's wife, right? And he literally runs out of his clothes to get away, right? Like no thought to, to his, his coat. Amputate if you have to. And this is perpendicular to the flow of culture that says, you know, you can get as close to the line as you can. Let's define exactly what that line is, right? And then just stay on this side as close as we possibly can, right? We're supposed to run. Again, you've heard it said to the people long ago, don't break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you've made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven for it's God's throne or by the earth, for it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond comes from the evil one. Jesus is saying, yeah, of course, do what you said you were going to do, right? But that's not enough. Like even the world acknowledges doing what you said you were going to do is the right thing to do, right? That's like literally the world standard. Like you can take somebody to court, right? If you signed a contract that said you were going to do something, you know, like 
that's not salty. The world makes promises, and the world keeps most of their promises, right? Jesus is saying that when people make oaths, they're playing the part of God. They're saying they know what's going to happen in the future. They have control of their tomorrow, right? They, they can arrange stuff to make, to make something happen no matter what, right? The truth is you, you're not promised tomorrow. You don't know what's going to happen, right? You, not, even your own life might be snatched from you. Don't make oaths. Don't use your words, I swear, I promise, I vow to make yourself look good. Don't cut him out of your conversations with people, right? <laughs> Say, yes, I will be there. Lord willing, you know, <laughs> Lord willing. <laughs> I'll be on time, Lord willing. <laughs> Proverbs says, acknowledge him in all your ways and he will direct your path, right? Like you, <laughs> you can't just walk the path, right? Acknowledge him. God, thank you for letting me take another step. I'm going to trust you for the next one. Jesus says, you have heard it said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you. Do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you right? An eye for an eye, this striving for fairness and, and, you know, making everything exactly equal, like is not the salty life that causes the world to glorify our father in heaven, right? It's not, oh, like, oh yeah, great. You're a, you're a champion of making everything exactly the same and making sure you pay back everyone exactly for what they did to you, right? Like that's not salty life. But what if we started to be generous to the people that wanted to take advantage of us, right? What if we resisted the urge to say, oh, no, that's too much, right? Too much to ask. And not only did the thing that seemed like too much to ask, but then bless them over top of that. We see this with, with tithing to, to our church. <laughs> um, I heard a quote this week that, that, Tithing would have been such a low bar to the early church. Um, we, we struggle to give 10% to, to the Lord because, you know, and un, un, we're discontent with the 90% that we have. We want more than that, right? Jesus' level of generosity is so much more than that. Lay, lay your whole life down. Let, pick up your cross and follow me right? Let the dead bury their own dead. Hmm. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? 
If you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? Do you see the point Jesus is trying to drive home here is like, you're living exactly like the world. You're not resist. This is not resisting that you're over there with them. You're doing the exact same thing. You're not salty. You're not light. Your light has been put over a bowl and nobody can see it. How do we live the different life? The answer is loving our enemies, loving our enemies. Jesus's command to love our enemies is in all four gospels. And it's the most quoted um, command of Jesus in the early church. The first couple of centuries of the church, we have the writings of the early church fathers. And this command is the command that is most quoted, right? This was what they were, um, they focused the most on um, in, as the church was growing um, by, by the thousands and the tens of thousands. Loving your enemies because the church had a lot of enemies, right? Like a lot, a lot of enemies. <laughs> Not only was Jerusalem occupied by the Romans, um, but the Christian church was being persecuted by the strict Jewish church or the Jewish faith. Um, they were being stoned. They were being thrown to lions, crucified. Um, only one of the apostles um, uh, wasn't martyred. Um, and uh, the story goes that one martyr was boiled in oil, but he didn't die. And so they exiled him to an island where he wrote more scripture. Um, John. Um, the Love your enemies. The church understood this to mean um, love your enemies with a, a sincere, self-sacrificing, benevolent love from your heart, right? This wasn't like feel good feelings toward your enemy. Um, it, it wasn't like enjoy your enemy, right? Love was in action. Love was, um, was something that was done, um, not something superficial, um, it wasn't, you know, yeah, yeah, I, I love my enemies because I don't, you know, I, I never hurt anybody. Um, and just like all of the other paragraphs in Matthew 5 here, like not hurting people is not, not the bar. Um, the bar is so much, so much higher than that to be this, this salty life that the world needs to see and experience and taste. Jesus says in John 15, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. That's, that's the description for what our, our enemy love needs to look like. As I have loved you. Well, then we can look at the way Jesus loved and we can figure out how we're supposed to love our enemies. We can figure out what that looks like. How did Jesus love? He's, he loved, number one, with open arms, right? He spent time with tax collectors and sinners with adulterers and with lepers. He had children crawling all over him to the point that the disciples are like, let's get these kids out of the way. Right. He's like, no, let the little children come to me. Come to me. Come to me was his words, right? Come to me. All who you all who are weary and heavy laden, right? Come to me, little children, come to me. 
His disciples were likely a bunch of teenagers and young adults, somewhere between ages 13 and 30. Um, I love the lyric that Justin wrote. He spends his time with rejects and losers. Like that's, that's Jesus, right? The outcast, the downcast, right? He spends his entire afternoon with a woman who was hated by an entire nation, right? A Samaritan woman, (laughs) right? That'd be terrible. He meets with a Pharisee in the middle of the night just to like talk with him about what the gospel is. That's where we get John 3.16, by the way, is a middle of the night conversation. Even as Jesus is being nailed to a cross, his life drained from him. You know what he said? Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Forgive these people. Forgive the person who is lifting me up. Forgive the person who's nailing me to this cross. Forgive them for they know not what they do. Right? And these are his enemies. If Jesus had en- ever had enemies, right? Certainly it's the person nailing him to the cross. And then he extends that and says, Scripture tells us that while we were enemies, while we were against him, he forgave us. Jesus responds, forgive them, Lord. Don't hold it against them. Don't give them what they deserve. Forgive them. Right? And that's a perfect picture of what it looks like to pray for our enemies. Jesus says, bless your enemies and pray for your enemies. How much time do we spend in prayer with our enemies as the subject. And, and really this is why like Christianity is today stronger than it ever was. This model of, of enemy love, right? The Roman empire that had, you know, Jerusalem by the throat and that crucified the Messiah, right? It, crumbled in the matter of centuries, right? But Christianity is, has taken over the entire globe, right? That's because enemy love is stronger than swords, right? Enemy love is stronger than physical might. It's stronger than imperialism. It's stronger than darkness. This guy is Daryl Evans. He's a Christian man who's convinced 200 Ku Klux Klan members to give up their robes and, and deny the Klan. Um, just by meeting with them and having conversations with them and showing love to them in a place, as opposed to sitting down and arguing, right? <laughs> this man has used enemy love to convert, here's another picture, over and over. And what's wild is that they've given him his, their robes. He's got dozens and dozens of robes uh, of Ku Klux Klan members that have, you know, people who beforehand were saying, you know, you're, you're inferior. I hate you. You're, you know, it's absolutely wild. And, and what made the difference? Enemy love the love that was poured out into him by Jesus that he then pours out onto his enemies. 
I mean, what do you do with that? It's literal warfare. Literal warfare against the forces of, of the devil. Right? And as followers of Jesus, we have the opportunity to bring this kind of transformation to our world. Right? Like, that's what Jesus is saying here. Like, that they will see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. That's the goal. So who is your enemy? It's probably whoever you view as on the other side. Right? Who, who, is, who is opposing you? Who, who is on the other side? Could be your boss. Right? Could be your ex-wife. Could be somebody that's on a school board. Could be somebody who stole from you or who cheated you, who lied to you. Could be somebody who you got in, into an argument with. Could be somebody who you're avoiding. If you walked up to them and, you know, you bumped into them at, at the grocery store, right? You'd try to exit that confrontation as fast as humanly possible. Maybe it's somebody you've never met, but anytime you see them, you have a, a bitterness or resentment or hatred in your heart for them. You know, or maybe somebody who, you know, you hear about them or you see them and you think like, what a fool. Raka, what an empty headed person. Who's our enemy? These are the people Jesus is calling us to love. Love as he loved us, right? To pray for them like he prayed for them. Father, forgive that person. They don't know what they're doing. Forgive that person. Don't hold this thing against that person. God bless them. God meet their needs. I don't know if you've heard this, but I've been hearing it a lot that we're more divided than ever um, in, in our nation. Um, I heard somebody say this week, it's not necessarily that we're, we're more divided. It's just that the camps are becoming more concentrated, that, um, that you're either a part of one camp or another camp. And, and, you know, you have to be rigid lockstep in line with that, uh, with that ideology. And, and you, you have to hate everything about the other camp. You have to hate everything about the other, um, the other group, especially in America, where especially social media, our communication um, has made us obsessed with politics, you know, absolutely obsessed. Facebook is, and Instagram have made it very easy for us to just look at a couple of posts, you know, and see what, what side people are on, right? We can see right away. <laughs> We can say, oh, this person's a friend, this person's a foe. It doesn't matter what faction or group the other person is a member of. Jesus says, if you approach them, you're to treat them as a neighbor. You're to treat enemies as neighbors. And you're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself. Right? Jesus makes this very clear in the parable of the, of the Good Samaritan. Right? It's an enemy on the side of the road. 
right? And it's the Samaritan who helps, who is the neighbor, who is the person who shows enemy love. The person in front of you at any given time is, your op- is an opportunity from the Lord to be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus, right? To obey Matthew 5 and to live out what this Christian, salty, bright life is supposed to look like or not. And we don't love other people so that they'll love us back, right? And we, in the Beatitudes, it's blessed are the pure in heart. Like, let's examine our motives. Why are, we, why are we showing love? Why are we being kind, right? This isn't about trying to make things fair, trying to receive something back from them. Um, we're not putting good vibes out into the universe and expecting, you know, karma back. This is a Christian church. You know, um, if you start to love your enemies, there's actually no promise that your enemies are going to love you back. It's nothing, you know? Um, but if we start to love our enemies, maybe they'll start to love Jesus, right? That's, that's the goal. That is the goal. The Holy Spirit is the one who brings conviction of sin and righteousness and judgment Right, But like he wants to work through you. He wants to work through that love. God wants you to be a lamp on a lampstand that gives light to everybody in the house. And don't be sand. <laughs> don't be somebody who said the salvation prayer, attends church, and looks exactly like the world. Right? With all the same anger and fighting and hatred. Jesus says that kind of love, that kind of life is good for nothing and and might as well just be cast out on the ground, right? So if we're not following Jesus, like we're not Christians, if we're not walking with Jesus, he's not our Lord. Hmm. Be salty salt. (laughs) I'm just going to leave us with this verse here today. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you loved us when we were your enemies. It's because of that love, God, that we lift our eyes and we glorify our Father in heaven. We look to the good deed of Christ, Lord, as the one who started all of this. We glorify you for that. Help us to live like you. God, to walk in step with you. Help us to forgive just like you do. To release anger and bitterness in our heart. God, and to look at other people with fresh eyes, with your perspective, Lord. Help us to forgive like you do. Help us to love people like you do. God, whether they're our friend, whether they're our neighbor, whether they're our enemy, Lord. May we love with a generous, self-sacrificing love, holding the things we have very loosely, ready to help, ready to talk, ready to make peace. May we view each and every person, God, as somebody who you created, who bears the image of God, 
May we view people as people for whom you died, who you gave your life, as people who you are calling, come to me. Help us live this radical, culture-defying, resistant life. We love you. Amen. Amen. Yeah. So I just feel like an activation is necessary at this moment. So I want you to take out a paper and a pen. And for those of you who go, oh, I don't have that. You have a phone. <laughs> you have a phone. You can take a note. Um, and I'm just going to give you, you know, like two minutes, not even one minute. I want you to think about who's one person that really bugs you to no end, who really just every time you're around them, they annoy you, every time, what, whatever it is. There's, there's one person that we all can think of, whether it's a coworker or a boss, or maybe it's that person on social media that just drives you crazy with all their posts. <clears throat> so... I want you to take a minute to think of that person and then write their name down. Okay, I heard lots of you chuckling, so I think you might have already found that person. And now I want you to just think for a moment, what could love look like? What could you do that would look like love? What's a practical thing you could do that could demonstrate love to that person? For those of you who are struggling, it could be something as simple as being encouraging to them, saying something encouraging to them. It could be giving them a gift. It could be taking time out of your day to just spend time with them. Sharing a compliment. Now I ask that you would pray with me. Father, we just lift up this person to you right now. And we ask for your strength and your love to be demonstrated through us. That we would be a vessel that you would use to minister to those around us. Help us to lay down our thoughts and our quote-unquote rights that we would pour out that sacrificial love. Help us to remember this person this week and pray for them. And we would pray that they would be blessed, they would receive your love, they would have financial blessing, that their family life would be restored. We would pray in earnest for them. 
Yeah. We thank you that it's you working through us that's able to do it. In Jesus' name, amen.